Man, that's really, really incredible uh, to see. And we showed that to you specifically because that's been one of the, honestly, kind of the cool things that has come out of this season. Uh, and when we got into this season, we had no idea how long it was gonna be. To think back now, is like we were actually considering having Easter in person back in April, which is just crazy to think about. But the whole idea of watch parties was born. In fact, we started those in May as a way to start regathering in person with smaller gatherings before we were gathering in person at our locations. And as we thought through that, really, we've seen, man, just some great fruit come from that. And we thought, man, what an incredible way for us to continue to gather because this season that we're in is really, and I learned a new term this week, you can look it up later, has been a wicked problem. That's a for real term, all right? That's just not something that cool kids say, all right? Not that I'm cool. But a wicked problem is something that two university professors came out with in the early 70s talking about a, situ a problem, a situation that is so complex, that is so difficult to try to solve that there's actually no one solution. In fact, it can't be solved. It can only be improved. And, and I heard that word this week, you know, I like words, that I thought, man, that perfectly describes the season that we've been in. This is a wicked problem. And so I want to just give you some context for this, and then it'll help me set up to talk about how we are planning to gather together in the future. But a wicked problem is something that can't be fixed. There's no single solution. And any solution that you come up with creates other problems. It's impossible to solve because of, listen to this one, incomplete, changing, and contradictory requirements and information. Does that not feel like what the season has been? Incomplete, changing, and contradictory. And you can't know when it's been solved. And here's the crazy part. There's no simple solution, and so you don't know if it can be solved. You won't know if it works until you try it, and then more than likely fail, and then you're responsible for those failures. And so when you think about a wicked problem, I thought, man, this is a great way to describe what we've been in as a nation, in fact, as a world. And, and honestly, I wanna say this to you because it kind of frames our, our church and our solution moving forward is if you try to simplify this wicked problem that we've been into, this solution, this, well, this is what they need to do, well, you know, you miss the moment. There is no one simple solution. And whatever solution you come up with, it just creates other problems because of the interconnectedness of it. And so when I thought about that, I'm like, man, that explains really why it's been so hard to plan and to feel in any kind of way strategic as a church. You know, when this first happened, we knew we had to go online. Again, we were thinking two weeks, maybe a month, again, thinking about Easter and that kind of thing. And, and then the, the idea of like, oh, we might be in this for a while. What is the rules? How can we do all that? So all that to say this, we've come up with what we feel like, again, this is just, we won't know until we try, is the best way to move forward. So here's what I want you to give, just some quick information, and then we got to get into our sermon for this week, all right? What we've come up with is really three ways for us to gather, three ways for us to gather. And if you kind of think about it in a timeline sense, I think that's helpful. Back in March, we went to online gatherings only. That's all we were doing because of the shutdown, because of just what was going on during that season. And then we did that, and we've been doing it since then. Then in May, we kind of added on to that layer watch parties, and we've been doing those kind of congruently. Now we're going to add on the layer of in-person gatherings. But here's what I want you to see. All three of those options 
are going to continue to run into the future, all right? Online, watch parties, and in-person gatherings. So starting this weekend, you can RSVP for in-person gatherings for next week. Thursday in Canton, on Sunday, we are in Canton and in Jasper, both of our locations. Now, that will still be very limited in size, RSVP only, family only gatherings, not our normal Rev Kids programming, still very, very restricted, still very socially distanced, but it's really a stewardship issue where we want to minister to those people that coming in person is a really good option for them, and it feels like it's the best option for them. But we don't want to miss out on those people that aren't ready to come back into a larger gathering and want to do smaller gatherings with watch parties. Well, we want to steward that and minister to them. And then for those of you that even coming to a watch party still may not be the best solution for you because of, of maybe your health or, or just the stage of life that you're in, well, we want to continue to resource online gatherings. And so we're going to do all three moving forward into the future. You say, well, how long? I have no idea. All right. It's a wicked problem. And so we're going to move forward into the future with these three strategies. And as a staff, as a church, we're going to resource all three of those. All right. Now, we don't have all those resources yet. We're, we're going to build this continually as we go. But if you're interested specifically in doing watch parties, and if you think about it, you, know, you got online, you got in-person, watch parties is kind of a hybrid between the two. It's still online, but it's still in-person with some people in a smaller format. So if you're interested in doing watch parties, here's what I want you to do, all right? Text the word party to the number on your screen, all right? Text the word party to the number on your screen. We'll get your information, and then we will send you out some information as we begin to resource that and build this out and move forward, all right? So this is our best shot at, at doing what we do, which is loving Jesus, growing people. We talked about this in the context of a wicked problem, all right? We're going to move forward with three ways to gather. Again, all that information will be on our website, and so I wanted you to know about that. If you're interested more about looking up wicked problems, just Google it, man. It really was helpful and making me not feel so insane and realizing, man, this is a pretty wicked problem in this season that we've been in, all right? Now, if you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Ironically, uh, you know, last week I did the first Romans recap. Today is the second Romans recap, and there's only going to be two. I know that's sad. We're going to start a new series next week. I'm really excited about that, though. I'll tell you more at the end of the message about it. And in Romans chapter one, last week, I did the first part of the, the recap, which was really kind of recapping the entire message of chapters one through 11. And I said that ironically, the, the text that I covered last week was text that I didn't get to preach last year because I was out of the country in Africa. And two of our pastors preached on that. Well, this text this week, I was going to spend two weeks on at the beginning of this year, but only got to spend one week on it. Because what we, we had a snow day back in February. Remember that? That was in 2020. We had a snow day back in February, and we had to cancel our in-person gatherings at our two locations. And so this week, I'm going to dig into this verse again, because I didn't get two weeks of a chance to do that back then. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and this really is the pivotal point in the letter, all right? What this chapter does, and you're going to see why in a second, is it's the second half of the letter. So I'm going to do my best to summarize chapters 12 through 16. And last week, tried to summarize chapters 1 through 11, all right? Let's pray before we jump into the text, and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are. 
And God, even in this season, we can trust you because you're trustworthy. We by no means are the first generation to face a wicked problem. So many generations for thousands of years have faced it and you have gotten them through. And so God, I pray today that we would be reminded about that, that our God is bigger than any wicked thing that we're going through right now. And so God, I pray that you'd speak to us today. You'd use your word as always through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the technology that we have for people that are watching online or gathering in a watch party right now or listening at a later time, God, to, that you would speak through that, through the power of your, the preaching of your word and your Holy Spirit. And so God, would you help us to see and to hear and to love and to live out what we hear in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So let me do, I only got two verses. All right which I got about 20 so minutes left, so maybe 10 minutes a verse. We'll see. That's the goal, all right? So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore. All right, let's do that again, and I want you to read the word therefore. All right, just uh, shout it out to the screen to me, all right? I appeal to you, therefore. Therefore. Now, I say this often. You always say, what is the word? Therefore. All right, it's, it's cluing you in on something. So he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All right, let's chat. So this marks a, a break or a shift in the chapter because of the word, therefore. And I say this often to you, and, I, and, and this is one of those things that I keep saying to you because I want you to remember it, all right? The word here is a conjunction, right? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? So this is an inferential conjunction because it's inferring back to something. And so it's highlighting back, and basically what he's saying, the NIV says it like this, in the view of the mercies of God. And so if you want to understand what chapters 1 through 11 are, you could see it right here the mercies of God. One through 11 is about the mercy of God. And so he's saying, therefore, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God, that what we've just talked about, how God was merciful to save you, that we were all sinners, we had all fallen short, and it's through faith that we're justified, we're made righteous. Again, that's the message of the gospel. That's what we did last week. And if you didn't watch that, you can go watch that recap, all right? But now he's saying, in view of that, in light of that, therefore, I appeal to you. Now, this word appeal literally is the idea. He's like, I'm, I'm earnestly asking. I'm earnestly requesting for you to do something. And, and I would say, honestly, that this is the, not only the appeal of Paul, but the appeal of every pastor. You want to know why God put pastors in your life? To make this appeal. And that is my job. This is what I told you last week, and I'm going to break it down more this week. As Paul said in Romans chapter 1, to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. That was his mission. That's our mission. And so I'm appealing to you like Paul is appealing to you. I'm just appealing to you through the words of Paul to do what he's about to say next in view of the mercies of God. And what is it? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the word there, present, means to offer up, to offer up. And the whole idea of sacrifice comes out of the Old Testament sacrificial system. 
which I don't have time to get into all that, but the basic point was, is you killed an animal and then the blood of that animal was sacrificed for the sins of the people. So in order for it to be sacrificed, it had to be killed. But now the Lord no longer requires dead sacrifices because Christ died and now Christ is alive. And so now the sacrifices that God requires are not dead sacrifices, but living ones, living people in view of the mercies of God. What is the mercies of God? The mercies of God is the fact that God did sacrifice his son. He killed his son, buried his son, raised his son for us. If you've ever thought, God, why are you mad at me? Why have you not done good for me? The best thing I can tell you is God has been so merciful to you. How do you know that? Because he sacrificed his son. That's the mercy of God. And now in response to that, Paul's appealing and saying, now my appeal to you is offer your bodies, present your bodies. And when it uses the word body, it's not just meaning your flesh. What it's saying is your whole self. Offer your whole self as a living sacrifice. Now this word here, living, is interesting. When I was looking into it, I just automatically assumed that it was an adjective because it was describing the type of sacrifice, kind of like I just said. You had dead sacrifices, now you have live sacrifices, which is kind of weird to think about a live sacrifice because every time you put something alive on the altar, it walks off, which is what we do all the time. But this word here, living, is not just an adjective because in Greek, you would have participles. And participles is a type of language, type of wording that we don't have in English. And so the best way to describe it in English is a participle is not just an adjective. It's not just a verb. It's a verbal adjective. So it has qualities of both. So this is when you would say, is a participle an adjective or is it a verb? And we would all say, yes. Yes, it's both. And this word here, living, is interesting because here, let me break it down for you. What type of sacrifice is it? Well, as an adjective, speaking as an adjective, an adjective describes, and so it's a living one. But then the verbal part of the participle is this. This is what I want to show out to you. How is it a living sacrifice? How does it describe like that? How do you do that? You do it through living. You don't do it through dying. You do it through living. And that's what I want us to see. How do we obey? We do it through living. See, everybody always thinks, man, I would die for Christ. But yeah, will you live for him? That's the concept of what Paul's getting here. Christ died so that we could be made alive. That's Ephesians. Now to live out what he died to give us, which was life. So the way that we become a living sacrifice is we actually live in the way of Jesus. We actually live how he says to live, which is how. Look at this. Holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable to God. Now, this is important. Paul's not saying that if you live right, you will be holy and acceptable. Because if that were the case, that's a works-based salvation. And sadly, there are some tenets within the broader view of Christianity that think like that. They wrongly read the book of James and think that faith plus works equals grace. But it doesn't. 
Paul in the Bible clearly says, no, 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 no. You're not saved by any work that you do. Ephesians 2, grace and faith, both, both a gift. And so when you're looking at this and he's saying, okay, so if I'm living holy and acceptable, and that's not what makes me right with God, then what's the point of living holy and acceptable? Here's why. Because when you've been made right with God, now you have the power to live holy and acceptable. So I don't live holy and acceptable to be saved. I live holy and acceptable because I am saved. And when I live like that, Paul says this phrase, and I love this, which is your spiritual worship. Now, we talk a lot about worship around here, and we all know that worship is not just singing. Singing is an aspect of worship, but worship is so much bigger than this. Now, I pointed this back out in February when we covered this word or this verse, but this word here, spiritual, doesn't really translate well into English. Because when we think of spiritual, we think of doing spiritual things. You know, just reading our Bible, praying, that kind of thing. And so that's how we define worship. But the word actually in Greek is literally the Greek word, Logic. It's where we get our English word logic. And so it would be better read like this to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your logical worship or your reasonable worship, the NIV and other translations say. What does that mean? Here's how it means. When you really look at the mercies of God, the only logical response is the offering of your whole self. When you live, when you look at the mercies of God, when you look at the grace of God, the only logical response is to offer your whole self. It's the only one that makes sense. Why? Because if Jesus offered his whole self for you to give you life, then we offer our whole self in response. And here's what I really want to harp on. See, most Christians come to Christ in order for what Christ can do for them. They don't come to Christ in order for Christ to make them like him. And that's the biggest difference. In fact, I was reading a quote this week that I thought, man, this really describes how a lot of Christians think. And I've got it here on the screen. In fact, I got two quotes today by the same guy, Dallas Willard. Again, one of my favorite uh, theologians, philosophers. He said this, and I want to kind of unpack it for you. He said, it is quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. One in effect says to Jesus, I would like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? Now think about that for a second. How many of us have approached salvation like that? Depending upon your church background, you may have called it your get out of hell free card idea. Like, do you want to go to hell? No. And that's how the gospel is presented a lot. And so it's like, well, I said yes to Jesus. Great. You got out. Now go live. You can see him in heaven. And here's the crazy thing. The Bible says, actually, if that's your mentality, then you won't see Jesus in heaven. Because when you come to Jesus, again, the only logical response it's not only that you give him your eternity, but you give him your humanity. Not only you give him your future, but you give him your now. You give him your past, your present, and your future. You give him your whole self. 
And so when Paul says it only makes sense, it's only logical. And so here's what worship is. You want to know what worship is? Worship is the giving of your whole self into the response of Jesus giving him his whole self to you. Worship is you giving your whole self in response to Jesus giving his whole self. And if not, you're what Dallas calls a vampire Christian. Now think about that for a second. I don't know if you've ever noticed my teeth before, and you don't have to really look at them, but I got some, I got some fangs right here. I can bite off a good fishing line, man. And, and so the idea, you know, you vampires, you've seen the movies, the crazy Twilight sagas, which I heard they're bringing back again, which would be so a, a, a 2020 thing to do. I mean, that's what we need in life, right? More, more Twilight movies. And the idea of this vampire is you're just out for the blood. I know that sounds a little crazy, but think about it. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So we just want Jesus' blood. We want his blood to cover our sins, but we don't want to give Jesus our whole life. We don't want in response to say, no, I want to follow you. I want to walk in your ways. I want you to teach me how you lived. See, Jesus didn't just die as our sacrifice. He lived as our example. And here's my point to you. He died so that we would have the power to live how he lived. But he had to live how he lived in order to show that he was perfect because God could only accept a perfect sacrifice. And so when he gave himself, he then empowered us through his death, burial, and resurrection, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, to now live in the same way that he lived. So think about it like that. When you come to Christ and anything less than saying, God, I give you everything is actually an affront to Jesus and saying, I just want some of your blood, but I don't want you. I don't want your life. I don't want your ways. I don't want to do what you did. And some people call that a shallow Christianity. I would call that no Christianity at all. It's not Christianity at all. If you just say, I want that, but I don't want this. The phrase, which I don't always like, but people said, you want him as your savior, but not as your Lord. Well, you can't pick and choose. In fact, let me give you another quote. This one's not on the screen, but Dallas Willard was describing what another great theologian said, A.W. Tozer. I'll read it to you. Tozer said this. He says, a notable heresy has come into being throughout evangelical Christian circles. The widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as a savior, and listen to this, and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to him as Lord as long as we want to. See, Tozer calls that a heresy, which means it's wrong. So we can't come to Christ as savior and then postpone our obedience to him as Lord. Now, I'm not trying to say you're not saved. What I'm trying to say is what is your attitude towards it? Because when you come to Christ and you have a new nature, that new nature, that new spirit that the, that the Bible says that you have now, Romans chapter 8, now that spirit doesn't want to live by the flesh anymore. And so here's the whole point of what I'm trying to get you to see is by the mercies of God, God empowers you to now live out your new nature. And your new nature is now Christ's nature, given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're a new man. You're a new woman, and you're a part of the new family of Jesus. I love that phrase. That's why Paul calls them brothers. 
You're part of the new family of Jesus. So now if you're a Christian, you have a flesh, and I'm just, I don't mean just flesh and bones, I mean a sinful nature, and now you have a spiritual nature. Paul calls it the new man. And you have an old man and a new man, and now they war against each other. And what I'm talking about is just simply, what is your attitude towards it? Is your attitude towards it like, man, by the power of the Spirit, I want to put to death that old me. I don't like the old me. Or is the thought process, well, I kind of like the old me. I'm going to keep sinning for a while. Jesus, I'll see you in heaven. Tozer calls that a heresy. Willard calls that vampire Christianity. And here's what I thought was crazy. You want to know how you know you might be a vampire? Not only are you just sucking Jesus' blood, but you just a bloodsucker from everybody else too. You're just always taking and never giving. You just always want what other people can give you, not a heart and a desire in Christ to lay down your life for your friends. See, that's the nature of Jesus. Well, how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse two. Isn't the Bible so good? Verse two. How do I offer myself as a living sacrifice? Here's how. Verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. And that's a command, by the way, not a suggestion. Do not conform to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, back in February, when I covered this again, which seems like a lifetime ago, wicked problem. I talked about how the NIV says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And where that comes from is out of this phrase here, conformed, because the word conform means to assimilate. To be conformed, to be, listen to this, to be or become behaviorally or socially similar to, conceived of as being becoming shape or molded to a certain pattern. Have you noticed that the world and the forces within and your own flesh are trying to conform you to a certain pattern? Trying to conform you, we might say, to the ways of the world? There are, and I've said this all year long, there are spiritual forces at play that are trying to conform you into the pattern of the world. And what is the pattern of the world? The pattern of death. But the spirit of Christ is trying to con, not just conform you to that pattern, but transform you. And that's the word metamorpho. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. It's the idea of you become something new. And so he says, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Again, it's not in the renewing of your mind that you're transformed because you're transformed when you trust Christ. But how the transformation continues to happen is by actively renewing your mind. And what do I mean by that? It's this. Remember I said you have a new nature, but you still have the old nature. So which one are you going to listen to? Which one are you going to let your mind drift to? Which one are you going to focus on? This is why it is so incredibly dangerous. And this is the pattern of the world, by the way. It's like, well, that's wrong. Well, but this is how I feel. This is how I feel. That's the pattern of the world right now. I can do this because I feel like this. I have these feelings. Well, that's your flesh and your flesh has feelings. Whoa, whoa, feelings. But that is a horrible, 
horrible master. Because what if I feel like slapping you in the face? What if I feel like robbing your house? What if I feel like going 100 miles an hour through a school zone? Sorry, you were going 100 miles an hour. Well, officer, I felt like it. Oh, okay, cool. You see what I'm saying? This is a ridiculous thought. But yet, this is how our world is living right now. Right now, forever. That's the pattern. So you can't go with your feelings, and here's what's going to happen. Your mind, your old self, your flesh is going to talk to you. And this is why I always say to you, you're not crazy if, if you're talking to, if like you're hearing yourself. You're only crazy if you don't talk back. And this is what's crazy. We think crazy people talk to themselves. No, actually sane people do. Because I don't know about you, but I'll be driving down the road or I'll be in a preaching a sermon or listening to a message or reading my Bible or playing with my kids. And a thought comes into my head. You ever had this happen? You're like, where in the world did that come from? And almost always, it's not a good one. It's a desire conditioned by my upbringing, family of origin, all kinds of things to do something that wouldn't honor God. Have you ever had that? Like, where did that come from? From your flesh and the devil and the patterns of the world. Your brain thrives on patterns. You want to know why 2020 has been so hard? Because there's no pattern. And you want to know why everybody comes up with these crazy conspiracy theories, and I talked about them a few weeks ago, QAnon and all that mess? Because they're looking for patterns in a chaotic world. We, we crave patterns so much so that we will be even buy into a wicked one, an evil one, because we just need some type of stableness. And if you and I don't learn by the Spirit of Christ to talk back with the words of God, then we will continue to not be transformed because we're not renewing our mind. How do we renew our mind? We renew our mind with the words of God. I heard somebody the other day that referenced a study that was done not too long ago that they found about reading your Bible and they just did a study on how many days a week does it take for it to have a transformative effect. So they said somebody who read their Bible once a week, no real change. Twice a week, no real change. Three times a week, no real change. But on the fourth time, someone who reads their Bible four days a week, it shot up like a rocket into a transformative effect. Now, why four? Because four is a majority. Think about it. How many days are in a week? Seven. You don't know anymore. Because you're like, what time is it? I don't know. I'm quarantined in this house. How did I get in this house? But four days a week is a majority. So here's all I'm saying to you. If we will simply renew our mind with the word of God four days a week, a majority, It'll have a transformative effect. Why? Because the words of God have power. And here's what I want you to see. You will not know the will of God without first knowing the word of God. You won't know the will of God without knowing the word of God. This is why he says, then or that by testing, you may discern what the will, what is the will of God. And this is where people say things, and this is a scary thing when people say it, God told me so. People have asked me that. I've been a pastor for 20 years. Well, did God tell you that? My response is always, I think so. 
I'm not one of those people that like, God told me so. Why? And I told this to our staff. I say it often. I'm about 51% sure about any decision we ever make as a church. About 51%. Sometimes it may be higher. Why? Because the will of God, right? We all talk, oh, I want to know the will of God for my life. Well, here's the thing. You want to know what God's will is? Read his word. The major life decisions that you need to make, read his word. You say, well, I know that, but I need to know if I need to marry this person or take this job or do this thing. Well, you won't have a renewed mind to know how to make wise decisions if you're not putting wise words in at least four days a week. And then you'll have a better shot at actually testing and knowing what the will of God is. Now, why am I stressing this? Because you want to know the recap for chapters 12 through 16? It's these two verses. You want to know what 12 through 16 is about? These two verses. 12 through 16 is what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Remember, it's verbal. There's action to it. If you want to be a living sacrifice, read Romans 12 through 16 and do what it says. That's the will of God. And we've covered that over the last several months. The will of God is chapters 12 through 16 for you. And this is where people are like, I know, but I, don't need, I need to take this job. Well, why don't you start with telling or doing what God told you clearly to do, and then you'll have a better shot of knowing what is unclear to you. Start with what he made clear. This is why in verse 3, I don't just have time to get into it. He talks about gifts. He talks about serving, love your neighbor, how we function with each other. Start there. And you'll have a better shot of knowing what the will of God is in the rest of your life. But let me give you one clue, all right? Actually, three clues, because that's what he does in the verse here. Three clues. You want to know what the will of God is? Well, first, it's going to be good. The will of God is going to be for you to do good, not evil. This is how we can say, well, God told me to go do this evil thing. Well, that wasn't God. We've seen that in the world, religious Nuts going out and making a sacrifice of themselves, doing something that is clearly evil in the eyes of God. Well, that wasn't God who told them that because it wasn't good. So at the very least, whatever God's will is, is going to be good. It's going to be doing good, being good. The second one, which I love this, is acceptable. Acceptable. Doing what is acceptable. Now, here's the clincher. Not what's acceptable in the eyes of men, but what's acceptable in the eyes of God. Let me just give you some examples that we run into. People that want to get married, but they're living together. Well, that's not acceptable. The Bible clearly says that. A man will leave his father and mother. If the man ain't living with his father and mother, you ain't ready to get married, man. You play in house. And that's hard for people, and it, it feels harsh because the pattern of our world is we live together before we get married. Man, I got to try it out before I buy it. No, you want to know why? Because people who live together before they get married statistically almost triples the chance that you'll get divorced because that pattern don't work, bro. Doesn't work. So don't ask us to marry you if you're living together. That's not acceptable. That's one of a thousand examples I could give you. All kinds of things that the Bible clearly says, that's not acceptable. 
Christ didn't live like that. That's not your example. That's a worldly example. That's a fleshly example. Well, this is how I feel. Great. It's not acceptable. There is a truth, and we have to align to it. Third, perfect. God's will is going to be something that's good. It's going to be something that's acceptable, and it's going to lead to perfection. What do I mean by that? Here's the crazy thing about following Jesus. When you get saved, you're made perfect, you're made righteous, you're made holy, but you're also being perfected. So what is perfect? Well, let me ask it a different way. Who was perfect? Jesus. So good and acceptable is going to lead to making you like Jesus, who was perfect. So what is God's will for you? You want to know what God's will is? I can say it to you in a sentence to make you like Jesus. That's his will. That's his will. So who should I get married to? Someone who is in in for the relationship to make you like Jesus. Well, how can they make you like Jesus if they don't know Jesus? Well, don't marry them. Should I take this job? Well, is it about perfecting you to be like Jesus? Well, I don't know. I'm a plumber. Well, do you have to learn the fruit of the Spirit in that job? Maybe you should take it. You see what I'm getting at? Again, this applies to a thousand examples, and i got to wrap this up quickly, but I just want you to see something because this is going to set us up for our next series. The will of God for your life and my life is not just to save you. Save you was the beginning point. That's when you were born again. It is to mature you, to make you like Christ. Let me say it to you like this. I'm going to give you one more Dallas Willard quote. So good. He says this. This requires a long and careful learning from Jesus to remove the, look at the next word. I highlighted it, bolded it, and all caps it, all right? To remove the duplicity that has become second nature to us. Spiritual formation is being formed, really transformed in such a way that his natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. What does that mean? Well, the word there, duplicity, the old word for that is doubleness. You want to know the problem with you and me is we are a duplicitous people. We're a double people. We are two people in one body. We are a flesh and a spirit. We are the old man and a new man. And we get so comfortable. But God is not comfortable because it's not acceptable for us to stay in a duplicity. Remember the theme for 2020? You were here back in January. It's integration. To be an integrated person. What does that mean? To be whole. To be one. To be the same person everywhere you are. And so the next series, what we're going to talk about is that process of spiritual formation. The process of the unbecoming of the duplicity in our life. Because Jesus, he didn't have a duplicity. And that's what's crazy, because he was God and man. 
but yet he was one. He's one. He wasn't one way in secret and one way in public. He was one way wherever he was. And so the will of God for you and for me, and again, that's what chapters 12 through 16 is about. This is what looking, this is what living as one person looks like. That's the will of God. And so we're going to start a new series next week called Welcome to the Wrestle. Welcome to the Wrestle. We're going to be looking at the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. So if you want to read ahead, read ahead this week four times. All right? Four days a week. We're going to talk about this process because Jacob was a duplicitous person. And God had to wrestle him down to bring him into one. And that's what God wants to do with you and me. And it starts with knowing Jesus. It starts with being made alive by the mercies of God. And then it is finished by being perfected to be like Jesus by offering ourselves as living sacrifices, which is the only worship that makes sense. Let's pray. Father, I, th I thank you for your word. And thank you for the transformative power of it. We want to be made alive. We want to be a new person. If, if 2020 has revealed anything, God, it is, it is brought to light all of our insecurities, all of our fears, all of our hatred, all of our bitterness, all of our criticisms. It has made us worst people. But God, for anybody here today who thinks that they are too worse, they're too bad for you to save them, that's not true. Because we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. But if by faith we will trust Christ, we'll be saved. We made alive by your mercies. Now to live out being a sacrifice. So God, I pray right now, if there's someone who hasn't trusted Jesus, I pray you'd save them. No one looking around or talking as we close as always. If you're in a watch party, if you're by yourself or listening at this at another time, if you've never trusted Jesus and you're sick and tired of who you are as a person, fundamentally, you are a sinner. Well, that's the only prerequisite to becoming a Christian is admitting you're a sinner. Turning over yourself to Christ in faith trusting the sacrifice that he made in your place for your sin and receive grace and you'll be saved. So if that's you, you want to pray with me, you can pray this and say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. Forgive me. Give me life in Christ. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Now, again, if you prayed that with me in just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to text us and we want to follow up with you. But in those of us who have trusted Christ, but if we were honest, we were living more like we were vampire Christians where we just wanted his blood to cover us, but we didn't want his life as a pattern to follow. I said back in February, the problem's in the pattern. But I also said that the power's in the pattern. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but 2020 has wrecked my plans and wrecked my patterns. And in some ways, I've become more double-minded. 
Well, the good news is today we can repent. We don't have to be saved again, but we just call it out. Father, I'm sorry for being a, du a duplicitous person, a worst version of myself, living by my flesh, not your spirit in me. I've been conformed to the patterns of the world. I've been jumping in on Facebook with everybody else and criticizing. I've been conformed to the patterns, thinking this wicked problem could be easily solved if everybody would just listen to me. That's arrogance. And we've missed out on the Jesus pattern. But Jesus wasn't so concerned at that point in time about what the Roman government was doing. He was concerned at that point in time about what his disciples were doing and how they were loving people even in the midst of an oppressive government. And that's what he's called us to. That's his pattern. And so we can start a new pattern and we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we'll be able to better discern what the will of God is in making us perfect like Jesus. So if that's you, it's, a, it's the same kind of prayer. Father, man, I'm so sorry for being double, for being two, for having this doubleness about me. I don't like it. I don't want to live by my flesh. I want to live by the power of your spirit. Renew my mind in your word so that I can know your will. And then this week, start out with a new pattern. Father, I pray that you would transform us because that's the goal. God, if there was one prayer that you could answer and, I, and you know it because I've asked it over and over again, God, there's only one thing I want. It's to be like Jesus. I want to be sinless. I want to be good. I want to be acceptable. I want to be perfect. Not that I'm trying to achieve perfection, but God, I get so tired of my own sin. I don't want riches or fame or notoriety or even health. I want Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And God, I pray that you would make that our prayer. And as we enter into a new time of teaching, looking how you're wrestling with us, would you wrestle us down and break that part of us that wars against you and make us like you. So Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.